Hello and welcome everyone to episode number seven of the Pensburg podcast. I am your host, Garrett Pahanna, uh, joined this week by Hooks Orpik, Jim Rixner. And Jim, we have a special guest here with us contributing uh, throughout the duration of this week's podcast. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our special guest to everyone who is listening? Yeah, we have a lot to get into today. So joining us now from PatMcAfeeShow.com and Heartland Radio 2.0. It's Nick Moraldo. How's it going, Nick? Boys, happy to be here. How are we doing? Doing great. And there's, there's well. plenty to talk to talk about today, that's for sure. So you picked a good day to jump on, I guess, kind of by accident, a happy accident that there's certainly no shortage of topics for us to discuss. I know we got a trade. I thought it was just going to be another boring loss to the Devils. And here we go. We got some real juice to talk about. So I guess let's get into it and and, and let's get into talking about this this trade that happened uh, earlier today between the Los Angeles Kings and Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, and, and Nick, you, you kind of brought up, the, the, I, I'm assuming that this was the catalyst that that sprung this trade. It was a really another boring loss, like you said, to the New Jersey Devils. And here we are, 8 to eight to 12 hours later, I think it was. And another in the middle of another tidbit of news that we're going to get to in a little bit, uh, General Manager Jim Rutherford signing a contract extension here with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He announces in the middle of his his uh, media briefing that he's made a trade and he was uh, waiting for the trade call to be completed by the league. And that trade ended up being a one for one swap with the Los Angeles Kings between uh, between the Kings and Penguins trading uh, left winger Carl Hagelin to the Kings for forward Tanner Pearson. What it, it seems like this trade, it might have been a desperation move for the Kings. Uh, I, I think the Kings were coming off of a pretty disastrous loss against the Maple Leafs last night. And uh, and the Penguins, of course, as we know, came off the another boring loss to the New Jersey Devils. So, Jimmy, I guess we'll start with you. What are your initial takeaways from this trade with with the Kings? Well, we saw last week Jim Rutherford kind of hinted angrily on his radio show that some changes were going to go down if things didn't turn around and turn around pretty quickly. And right after that, the Penguins lost to the Washington Capitals last week, but they actually played really well, got the better of the scoring chances, just ran into a hot goalie. Then they kind of got a little stagnant. They won against Arizona, but were kind of, eh, okay. You know, Casey DeSmith played really well, but overall the team really wasn't all that sharp. And then last night, as Nick and you have mentioned, the Penguins didn't really look great at all against New Jersey, lost. And I think at that point, it was really obvious to Rutherford that it was time to shake things up. And they shook it up in a big way, probably bigger than I was expecting personally, because you have Carl Hagelin, who's been such a big piece of the last two Stanley Cups. So I think that's going to cause a major just chemistry and, and shock change to this team to not have this guy that they've been with so much. What's your take on that, Nick, to kind of move a, a core key piece like Carl Hagelin out and bring a brand new fresh guy in? Well, like you said, I don't think anyone's shocked that a trade happened because Hagelin's or uh, Rutherford's been talking about this for a couple of days now, saying something could potentially happen, something probably will happen. And he's one of the rare GMs nowadays who's kind of like a straight shooter, especially with the media. If he says he's going to do something and he's very willing to talk to the media and tell them he's going to do something and then actually go and do it. So he goes out, he pulls the trigger, he sends Hags out, which is which which kind of hurts a little bit, to be honest, because he was I, I always thought of him as like the catalyst for the whole turnaround in the Penguins game, turning into that real speed and skill team that won those two cups. 
remember when he came over from Anaheim, he was struggling there, only had a couple goals. He comes over, and I think he finished the year with like 10 goals in the few games he had left with Pittsburgh that season. He was kind of like what rejuvenated everyone and kind of brought life back into the franchise, which was trying to find an identity for a little bit. And they found it in a big way with him. So to see him go, it hurts. But at the same time, I'm not completely shocked by it because his lack of production over the past year and a half, he's just really dipped and and tailed into something that it it's almost unfathomable where his hands went. It's like every time you would watch him play, it was like he was handling the puck like a grenade. And he obviously still had the speed, but there just wasn't enough there outside of the speed and the penalty killing and that to, to, to warrant that salary, especially to keep him around. So I think Pearson coming in is good. I think he is not quite as fast as Haglin, obviously, but I think he's got some wheels and his release is 10 times better. I, I was watching YouTube highlights the end of the day, shoot the puck, and he can he can rip it, especially from the slot. I noticed he winds up in the slot a lot, which is good news. The, the the comment you made there was great. I think in describing uh, Haglin being that that catalyst that ended up really transforming the Penguins franchise over the last uh, two to three seasons, and it it really it really is fascinating to look back on and see where the team has where the team has gone since that trade was made. I believe it was made with Anaheim, and uh, they traded. I think they traded David Perron to Anaheim to bring Carl Haglin here, and it was like in the in the dead middle of winter, and they bring Haglin here. And I've, I can visibly remember times throughout the 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 twenty sixteen and seventeen playoff runs. The first playoff run specifically, uh, I remember Mike Sullivan using Haglin. I can remember them lobbing passes up, throwing it into the offensive zone for Haglin to go chase, and using his speed to to create pressure in the offensive zone. And it was those plays that I remember the most from Haglin uh, during his first, the, during the two playoff runs here. Uh, you know, say what you will about the lack of production that that uh, Haglin unfortunately became known for as his time went on here in Pittsburgh, but. His presence and, and Nick, like like you were mentioning, what he brought to the team, and in creating that team identity, where the Penguins shifted towards using that speed and skill, those concepts, it helped them. It really did help them win the two Stanley Cups. And I, I don't think Carl Hagelin won't be. I don't think he'll be like immortalized here by any means with with a statue erected or anything like that. But Carl Hagelin's presence was vital and necessary in Pittsburgh really getting those two Stanley Cups. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it, he really is underappreciated in that sense. And he he essentially transformed the team. And like you said, those lob plays to him, they that turned around that whole entire season. It really got all, the rest of the guys skating too. When you see a guy forecheck like that and the way he can skate, it really inspires the team, I feel like. And, and they fed off of that and they used it and propelled themselves into becoming one of the most dynamic speed skill teams the league had seen in the past couple of years. And, you know, unfortunately it comes to an end. He gets a little bit older and he costs a little more and he can't do as much as he once did. So you ship him out and you hope to kind of recapture that magic with a guy who's now a little bit down on his luck. I think he's only got one point this year in like 17 games in Pearson. But, you know, if, if Jimmy's shown anything, it's that he can take players who are struggling a little bit, put them in a position to succeed and have them kind of turn their careers around. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a good point. That's kind of what Rutherford does is, you know, he'll try, he'll give a guy a new change of scenery or he'll bring a guy in. And Tanner Pearson was a first round pick of his own right. Two years ago, he scored 24 goals. And like Nick mentioned, he really can rip the puck. And Tanner Pearson, it seemed, did his best work when he had Jeff Carter more in his prime a couple years ago. And if Jeff Carter can feed him some pucks, I'm sure whether it's Crosby or Malkin or even Derek Broussard, the Penguins should have a pretty good skill center to get get Tanner Pierce in the puck so hopefully that will prove to be good because like Nick was mentioning when Carl Hagelin first came over his first season in Pittsburgh he scored 10 goals and 17 assists in 37 games and if you look at this year the first 16 games he has one goal of course and last year in 81 games Carl Hagelin only scored 10 goals so that you're looking at going on almost 100 games and he only has 11 goals so he he really did, unfortunately, drop off, and you just can't have that, especially for a guy who's playing with Evgeny Malkin every shift when Malkin's feeding them. And, I mean, you you have to score more than 11 goals and almost 100 games when you're in that situation. So it was probably just time to move on. What's not, I guess it's not interesting, but it's we're going to see uh, moving forward. What kind of role uh, does a- anyone here ha- – want to take a guess and and try and decipher or figure out what kind of role Tanner Pearson will have on this team. I think he's only making, if he's not making the same, uh, like in terms of cap hit that Carl Hagelin was making, I think Carl Hagelin was at 4 million uh, in terms of cap hit. And I think Pearson was at three three point seven five million. It will. So will Tanner Pearson's presence be strictly bottom six related with with what Rutherford's goal maybe first goal being ironing out the bottom six and getting more production from the bottom six forwards and then maybe potentially making another move to to amp up the top six with with the other superstars will or will Pearson be slotted into that Carl Hagelin role uh, next to Evgeny Malkin or even maybe Sidney Crosby and we'll see uh if if Pearson really can finish uh which was obviously a trait that that eluded Carl Hagelin throughout his tenure here in Pittsburgh. I mean, I think if you look at it, there's a glaring hole on the Penguins' left wing right now. They have Jake Gensel, and he's been playing, of course, the most with Crosby up there. But after that, and especially now that Hagelin's gone, they don't have much. They have Zach Aston-Reese, but he's better in that third, fourth line role. And Dominic Simone can play left wing, but he's been playing some right wing lately. So when I look at it, I think it makes the most sense to probably start Tanner Pearson out right away with Evgeny Malkin on that second line left wing spot and see where he goes from there. Maybe if you have to drop him down a line or two, you know, you do so. But I wouldn't mess around with Sidney Crosby's line right now, especially with Gensel there. So I'd probably think the the obvious hole, I don't know if this is where they'll go, but to me it seems like it, it would be on Malkin's line. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, you said it's obvious, and they almost have to because you look, they're stacked at right wing, and you look at what they have on the left side, and who else, I mean, honestly, who else can play in that role? It's not like they're going to suddenly flip Sprong around and give him any breathing room, uh, and until Broussard comes back, they're kind of stuck with the centers they have and the positions they're in. Uh, I think it's his for the taking if he just goes out there and honestly can skate and not turn the puck over. If he puts a couple pucks on that, I think he's in a good spot. Yeah, and that would be disappointing too if you bring him over and suddenly you got him playing with like Riley Sheehan and and Brian Russ, two guys who aren't playing all that great themselves right now. So I I think you know the the spot is there. It's just plug him in with Malkin and see if he can see if he and by he I mean Pearson can get off to a hot start like Hagelin did in Pittsburgh and and be able to put up some points on the Malkin wing, which is going to help the team so much right now. 
So uh, we started this conversation um, by mentioning that Jim Rutherford was in the middle of his media briefing, basically announcing that he had signed a, a three-year extension with the Pittsburgh Penguins and switching gears a little bit now from the trade that he announced during his briefing, I, I want to talk about the Jim Rutherford extension in its own right. Jim Rutherford has come under a little bit, a little bit of criticism recently for two lackluster summers heading into the the last two seasons, respectively. And uh, Nick, you kind of mentioned the the, the kind of uh, the, the kind of personality that Rutherford has in terms of. Um, you know his rep- the reputation that he's developed throughout the league. So with 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 Rutherford's job security off the table, and it looks like Rutherford will probably finish his career, at least his front office career, with the Penguins uh, by by the end of the dur- the duration of this contract. Uh, Nick, I, I'll ask you: are, are you comfortable with with this this new extension to Jim Rutherford? Uh, are you comfortable with Rutherford? handling the rest of this this championship window I guess the that the Penguins have uh trying to get the best out of Crosby and Malkin and, and the remainder of their 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 last really good years absolutely I'll try and say it as clearly as possible because it, it, while he deserves a little bit of criticism like you said for maybe the past summer or the past two summers I mean when you got a team to back-to-back Stanley Cup championships you are above reproach in that regard. Uh, he's got a free ride for basically as long as he wants it here. You, you, he would have to catastrophically destroy this team for for his job to be uh, – for him to get Ray Shiro. Do you know what I mean? He, he's, he's so safe right now, and the extension just you know backs that up. I, I don't know – the one thing I really like about Jim Rutherford, other than him – being a straight shooter with the media is that if he messes up, he tends to fix it. You know, if he makes a bad signing or if he brings in a player and it doesn't fit, he's pretty good about addressing it and either getting rid of that player or making some changes to make sure that things fit around that player to help them out. Um, so, you know, he, he's had his issues in the past. And when he first got here, it, it was not off to a great start. He made some questionable decisions, but he fixed a lot of those decisions and turned the team into that dominant force that it was for those two years and those two cup runs. Uh, the Jack Johnson thing, I think, is on everyone's mind. And that worries me a little bit. I'm interested to see how that pans out. Uh, but, you know, that, that's that's a whole nother animal we can maybe get into some other time. But yeah, I think he's I think he's safe. I think it's well earned, and I think he's in a good spot. And I think the franchise is in a good spot, uh, largely thanks to him. I agree there a hundred percent because if you look at it, this guy came here summer twenty fourteen, and a lot of things looked down with the Penguins. And two years later, they're Stanley Cup champions, and three years later, they're Stanley Cup champions again. And they were Cup champions because they pretty much kept Crosby, Malkin. Latang, Oimata, maybe a, another one or two guys. And other than that, they completely revamped the team within two years. So I think what Nick said is right on the money that Rutherford earned a lot of equity. And yeah, we we complain that maybe he gave a bad contract here or made a bad decision there, but that's just human nature. I think anytime you're running a team and a franchise and have hundreds of decisions to make, you know, you're not going to get them all right. And certainly he's he's not perfect. And I think he would say that, but he has addressed the problems and he's fixed a lot of the weaknesses of the team. And, you know, it's just common stuff that we all know. You got to find the best way to surround Crosby and Malkin with talent. And, 
and give them a chance to do something special. And I think Rutherford did a really good job of doing that. And even last year with the Derek Broussard trade was really a thing of genius to involve Vegas, who had no real role in the trade, except to kind of take some salary away so they could fit this high-priced player like they did. So I think all in all that Rutherford, he, he's an older guy, but he still seems really sharp. And it seems like, you know, he's got his flaws and his mistakes, but I think you can live with it for the results he's given so far. And, you know, he hired Mike Sullivan and that might've been more luck that it played out so well, but it still played out well. So you got to give him credit for that too. So I'm definitely on board and it's good knowing now that, you know, Rutherford's in it for the next couple of years. Let's let's hope. And he still wants to do it. So there's no doubt that, you know, is Bill Guerin going to take over in a year or two? Or are the Penguins going to have to find another GM if, if they don't, you know, do well in the playoffs this year? And the answer there is definitely no, they don't. It's going to be Rutherford for the next handful of years, at least for the foreseeable future. So that kind of sets the course. And then we know where we're going. So, you know, it's just a matter now of seeing what happens. One more thing for Rutherford for another feather in his cap is if he needs any more, but the way he handled the whole Matt Murray, Mark Andre Fleury situation after the first cup, like you can't say enough good things about that. I think a lot of people were ready to move on from Fleury, myself included, just because you see a young promising goalie and what Murray did. And then to to be able to find a way to keep Flurry around, keep him happy, keep him motivated, and then when Murray goes down with the injuries and Flurry comes in, and we all know what he did that season, it, it it's incredible. And the way they made it work was just magical. And I think Jim deserves a ton of credit for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's right on the money because, like you said, you have to manage the egos because both of those guys want to be the guy. They both want to start all the games, and the players handled that really well. But it also took the foresight of the manager to say, "Well, I have these two great goalies, and I don't want to get rid of either of them." And and he didn't. And thank goodness he didn't because that's the reason the Penguins won the cup in 2017. If they would have got rid of Flurry, they would have stood no chance when Matt Murray got hurt at the end of the regular season that year. So that that is a really really good point and another great move that Rutherford made by not doing anything for as long as he could. So here's a question for the both of you. Where do Jimmy, we'll start with you. Where do you rank Jim Rutherford uh, in, in ter- on, on the list of all time? We'll go all time NHL general managers and we'll go specific. We'll go more specifically. We'll go penguins, general managers. Oh, wow. Um, Starting with Penguins general managers, I'd, I'd say it's kind of open ended because, you know, the story isn't completed yet. But I think he has to be right at the top. You can say he didn't draft Crosby. He didn't draft Malkin. Well, neither did Ray Shero. And it wouldn't have taken a genius to figure out to draft those guys anyways because, you know, the franchise was lucky enough to get them. So, I mean, I think if you look at how Rutherford's manipulated the salary cap, how he's won two Stanley Cups while being here, I'd say at this point he has to be right at the top of the look at the most Stanley Cups for a team in the salary cap era. So... I mean, for modern day GMs, I don't know if you could pick like Bill Torrey or some Islanders guy or some Montreal guy. I don't, I don't know where he would quite, you know, stack up or his total wins compared to anyone else. But I mean, given what he's done and and done in a system where you have a salary cap and where he was in Carolina where they couldn't even spend up to the top, you know, it, I'd be hard pressed to say that you know he'd have to be in the top handful of what his resume says and what his teams have been able to accomplish. Yeah, if you look at the GMs in the league right now, I think from the situation he was in in Carolina to the situation he's in now, I think you could argue argue that he went from probably bottom five to top five GMs in the league. Uh, he's, I feel like he was kind of a laughing stock a little bit there in Carolina for a while after they won the cup. They kind of just 
fell into this mediocre area of the league where they couldn't get better, but they weren't bad enough to completely tank to get the picks they needed. And then he comes here. And then in terms of the Penguins GMs, it, it might sound a little crazy, but I'd put him at one because the the way he's been able to build the team around those guys, yeah, granted, he's got Crosby, he's got Malkin, but the way he's been able to maneuver the salary cap to maintain talent around these guys and go back-to-back is just truly impressive. Like, Craig Patrick obviously had a ton of stars, but he didn't have a cap to work with. He could have spent money till his heart was content till the owner went bankrupt and did. And that's what they did. <laughs> yeah. I give Jim a ton of credit, and, you know, I wasn't crazy about the hire when they first got him, but, I mean, he's proved me wrong, and, I, and I was, I've been turned in complete 180, and I love the guy, I think. It's not that he can do no wrong, but I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. I think the, the one move for me that will he, that will forever etch his name in Pittsburgh Penguins lore, Pittsburgh Penguins history, has to be the switch from Mike Johnston to Mike Sullivan in the middle of that. Uh, oh, I believe yeah. it, what, the the fifteen sixteen season. It was like right. It was towards Christmas time. I believe it was. Yeah, it was fifteen sixteen because they ended up making that coaching switch. And winning the cup uh, in 16 and 17, making that coaching change when the Penguins were really floundering, almost like almost like they're doing now. But let's be real, Mike Sullivan isn't going anywhere in the middle of the current slump that the Penguins are in. For Rutherford to make that switch uh, from bringing on um, bringing on Mike Johnston when he first got here, realizing that this team was horrendously bad. Sidney Crosby, everyone thought that Sidney Crosby had completely disappeared. His offense had dried up. Replacing uh, replacing Johnston with Sullivan, revitalizing Sidney Crosby's career, changing the the philosophy of the Penguins to that speed and skill approach that won them the two Stanley Cups. I think that that will be the move that I will remember most about Jim Rutherford's tenure here in Pittsburgh. Nick, I think you're the first person to ever appear on the Pennsburg podcast who's playing hurt. You feeling all right, bud? <laughs> I'm in bad shape, man. Uh, <laughs> Are you? Still? It's been a rough couple days. Like, a couple weeks ago, I broke my collarbone. Uh, I just saw, I moved apartments over the weekend and somehow got pink eye. I am like anything bad that can happen to me right now is happening. And I feel like, I feel like I'm in my own little slump right now. Like the pens, I feel like I need to just weather the storm and, and just make it to Thanksgiving. And I feel like once I get past that, I, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. It's all, it's all about the comeback, baby. Yeah, I hear that. And and we definitely appreciate you fighting through the tough times to be with us. And I heard your buddies beating you up on Heartland uh, Radio the other day on their pod, your podcast. And I have to agree because there's only one way I know to get pink eye, and that's from the movie Knocked Up. And that's when someone farts on someone else's pillow. Yeah, so, I know you've been denying this, but... As everyone thinks I got poop in my eye somehow, some way. And I, and I don't... Like, I looked into this because I thought the same thing i was like yeah that that's the only yes. way you get it you just get some shit in your eye but it, it wasn't i wasn't eating any ass i wasn't around any butts uh <laughs> there was no poop on my fingers i wasn't playing around with it i just apparently you can just get it like it's a viral disease it's also a bacteria form if someone has it and you're around them you can just get it from a sneeze you can get it from seasonal allergies even 
And this is the first time I've ever had it. And it sucks for sure. Uh, it's finally starting to clear up. So I'm hoping to go back to work tomorrow. I didn't even listen to that podcast because I didn't want to hear it from them. I'm going to have to hear it when I go back and see them face to face. I couldn't even stand listening to it, not being there. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I got it. I don't know why I got it. I believe it's some type of karma in some fashion or form, but here we are. I'm just trying to get over it and keep it moving. You're keeping it moving and you're here. So we appreciate that. Everyone, once again, you can follow Nick. It's, his Twitter is at Nick Moraldo if you don't already. And he's always got good stuff going on out there in Indy with Pat and the gang. So we definitely re- recognize that and just want to point that out and, and say thanks for, for playing Hurt. I don't think we've had anyone, you know, with pink eye and broken collarbone and, and all the maladies you've had on, on the show just yet. But we appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully I'm the only one. And thank you guys for having me on. I, I read you guys' site a lot. It's hard for me to keep up with everything that's going on out here. Uh, I don't get to watch every single game anymore like I used to. That that was that was my thing, man. I used to watch every single Pens game every night. Now it's a challenge. I got to find a good stream. I'm, I'm surfing Reddit every night to try and find the best quality. Uh, I'm always like 30 seconds behind anytime someone scores. So I, I need to just uh, nut up and splurge and get uh, center ice or get the uh, NHL TV package. That's what, what I need to do. Yeah, once you get back to 100%, maybe you can can consider that. Ugh, it's a nightmare. I was just going to say, I was just. how about this for a perfect segue? We'll go from We'll go from one upper body injury to another upper body injury. And the, the upper body injury that I am referring to happens to be to uh, Sidney Crosby. And this was announced today in the midst of all of the other craziness and uh, all of the other hoopla that was coming along with the Pittsburgh Penguins with the trade and the, and the, and the Rutherford extension. Sidney Crosby has some sort of upper body injury and details from what I read were quite limited. I don't even know what his status is for tomorrow night's game against Tampa Bay. If anyone else, if anyone here does, I've been unplugged all day. If anyone here does know his status and wants to update me on his status for tomorrow's game, please do so. But um, with Sidney Crosby's upper body injury, uh, oh, and not to go off on a side tangent here, I just, I hate how how vague NHL coaches and general managers are when it comes to these upper body, lower body injuries. I mean, upper body and lower body could be literally anything. And the fact that it's so discreet, I mean, I guess it's Sidney Crosby. You want to protect what, you know, whatever it is he's dealing with, but being discreet and not providing many details can be quite concerning for the average fan, but looking at Crosby and whatever absence he may bring to the team, whether it's miss, just missing one game against Tampa Bay or for a prolonged stretch, we don't even know, at least I don't even know what this injury is to Crosby. What is the effect that Crosby's injury has on the team currently? Because we know this team is slumping pretty hard right now. So losing the best player in the world, your number one center, uh, you're obviously going to shift Malk into the top line. Uh, and Shayan and, and Cullen probably get the bump too. Derek Broussard, I don't even know if Derek Broussard is completely healthy yet. I don't think he'll be playing in tomorrow night's game against Tampa Bay either. So what what is the short-term and long-term impact of this undisclosed Sidney Crosby injury? Uh, a couple things. I didn't see anything official, but what I did see is that uh, Recky was taking line rushes with Crosby's line mates in practice. And so they didn't disrupt any of the other lines, which I feel like is a good sign because I feel like if he was going to miss a significant amount of time, they would have jumbled the lines up a decent bit. Um, Also to that point, I feel like if it was the C word that we all dread and hate, 
I think they would have announced that. I don't know if they would have went the vague route with the upper body injury, lower body injury designation, which I also hate. And I think is going to change here soon with the lax laws now on sports gambling in the U.S. I think the NHL is going to be forced to kind of drop those designations. And I think the gambling community is going to put a lot of pressure on them to come out and and be a little more specific with those injury notes. But uh, if he is out for maybe, let's say, a handful of games, I wouldn't dread it too much because, A, they're already slumping. It's early in the season. Whenever he does go out, Malkin seems to take his game to another level. Uh, he just enters another stratosphere that you, you wish he could be at all the time, but is understandable that he can only get there when when he feels like he is the man. So I don't know where this leads us, but I think I think I think this isn't the end of the world type news. I think it's just a minor type situation. Yeah, I would agree with that. It sounds like maybe, luckily, that hopefully that it isn't that bad. Jason Mackey from the Post-Gazette tweeted this afternoon that Crosby showed zero sign of anything wrong in the dressing room afterwards. I can't imagine this is hugely serious. So Mackey saw Crosby last night, so it's not like he was off to a you know trouble spot or the trainer immediately. And But we don't know, and they didn't say much. The Penguins also called up Derek Grant on Wednesday, but that could be just because maybe they don't know if Tanner Pearson's going to get in in time, even though Selvin said he thinks he will, or that could be that they don't want to play Daniel Sprong tomorrow. So we don't know for sure really about Crosby, but if he can't play, it could be Derek Grant going into the lineup, or it could be just Grant now for some backup and just some numbers because they don't have an extra forward as it is. Derek Brizard, like uh, Garrett mentioned, is just skating without the team they called it a day-to-day injury but now it's been three weeks since he got hurt so I think that day-to-day was a little you know hopeful and, and didn't quite work out because he's been out a couple weeks now with no real end in sight so I wouldn't count on seeing Derek Broussard any time in the immediate future here but hopefully there's no update on Sid yet for sure if he's even out tomorrow or Thursday for Thursday's game or going to play but We'll just have to wait and see on that too. But it does sound kind of good at least that hopefully this isn't going to be anything really serious. And Nick is right. The Penguins are very good. If someone has a concussion, they will call that out immediately. They don't consider that like the upper body injury. They definitely let people know, which is a good thing. So hopefully that the reason they didn't say that is because it was some kind of other issue. But for now, we're all kind of in the dark. So when we're recording this, maybe when the people are listening, they will know themselves. And hopefully this is all for nothing. I'm interested because Derek, Derek Broussard was brought up a lot in that little, in that mini conversation or that, that mini point that uh, I was making and Jimmy was making. I, I, looking at Derek Broussard specifically and Jimmy, you brought it up. He's been out for, for what, three weeks now, like you said. Yep. When examining the, the Broussard, uh, the trade and the Broussard experiment, uh, going back to last year when they acquired him at the trade deadline and seeing what, seeing what he did last year at, uh, and into the playoff run and, unfortunately, what has transpired into this season, has the Derek Broussard injury or has the Derek Broussard experiment Excuse me. Has the experiment uh, has it has it failed? Has it reached its its expiration date? Is Derek Broussard the player that we thought we were going to get 
from Ottawa when 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 the Penguins traded for him last year. I kind of I personally gave him the, the benefit of the doubt, and you know I let him get off easy last year because he came in at the middle of the season, and uh, I think he was fighting a couple of injuries last year into the playoff run. So I gave him the summer to kind of like uh, regroup and rehabilitate into a, the regular season. But J- Jimmy, to your point, like you said, he's already missed three weeks into this this brand new season. And the Penguins were lauded for their center depth down the middle. And this was going to be it was going to be Crosby, Malkin, Brassard, and either Cullen or Shahan or or even Derek Grant. And with Brassard out, being out for roughly three weeks now, and even before that, when they were experimenting with Brassard on Crosby's left wing, it was kind of like a a, um, a mix match. And, and you know, they, the team wasn't getting really consistent results anywhere. But is Derek Brassard? Is he the player that we thought we were getting from Ottawa last year? Is it maybe time to, once Broussard is healthy, if Jim Rutherford's looking for another trade, is Broussard the piece that that Jim Rutherford's going to put in another trade to bolster this this roster once again? The Broussard thing, to be honest, it just plain sucks because players and coaches and GMs won't use injuries as an excuse, but we can, as fans, we can say, you know, Look, he's injured. What what can you really do? Look, just going by just the numbers, he's only played eight games this year and he has five points, which is not terrible at all by any means. That's pretty damn good. But again, it's such a small sample size, you can't really tell. So like you said, you know, he got a little bit of time with Crosby's wing and he's only played a handful of games. So did he look great? No. But he put up a few numbers and what really hurts is that he's been mostly durable throughout his career. I'm looking back at his years with the Rangers here and he's played 81, 80, 80, 81 games uh, through those four years. So he's never had injury problems, at least recently in his career. The playoffs, obviously a different beast. Everyone's playing hurt. You don't really know what was wrong with him. We don't know how severe that injury was. Uh, you hope he, he trained in the offseason and came back ready. It's a contract year for him, so you think he'd want to put his best foot forward. Um, I, I hate to give up on him, but at the same time, yeah, I could see him being a piece that uh, GMJR would be willing to move and able to move. I just don't know what his value is right now. Uh, obviously, he has a proven track record, but with the recent injuries – uh, is anyone really going to give you anything of significance for him this season, knowing he's he's essentially a rental? Yeah, that's my thinking too, because the Penguins just gave up a first-round pick and a top goalie prospect last year to get Broussard. And it is kind of weird because, you know, what do you want out of Broussard? He's a third-line center in Pittsburgh, but really his whole career, he's been a first- or second-line guy. So he goes from a scoring-type role to more of a checking role, and that's that's always tough. You're not you're not playing with the best wingers always. You got lower guys. So then they try him on the wing, and he's not a winger. So he he can do okay there. But I'm not sure that's the long term answer for the player or the team's best bet or best interest. So it's just kind of like Derek Broussard. He's a good player, but it's not really the best fit. But at this point, what can you do? I I don't know. I I agree with Nick that I don't think you're going to get much in a trade for him anyways. So I think he might as well hold on to him and hope in Pittsburgh you know we we think of Jordan Stahl as the third line center Jordan Stahl great two-way player good all around could do anything and and that still kind of looms large and Derek Broussard isn't that kind of player he's more offensive minded which 
is fine because I think Nick Bonino, dating back to his days, he was always known kind of as a more offensive guy too. He killed penalties a little, but all in all, he was a player in Anaheim and Vancouver that was scoring goals and not really that much of a checking line center in the Jordan Stahl type role. So I think that's tough for Pittsburgh and it's always going to be to try to find that next type of Jordan Stahl type of player because it's really hard to get a guy that good to be a third line center. And that's why Jordan Stahl didn't want to stay either because he wanted an easier job and more offense. So that'll be interesting for the Pens as to what they want to do there. Um, I know just to switch gears a little today in his 31 thoughts, Elliot Friedman on Sportsnet, one of his notes were talking about Jim Rutherford making another trade, maybe with Anaheim's Bob Murray for both teams looking for a change of scenery trade. And um, Friedman mentioned, we well, didn't mention, but one thing that kind of makes sense or sticks out to me now that Rutherford did this trade today for offense is maybe he switches gears and he thinks about revamping the defense a little. So you have Olimata and you have Jamie Alexiak who have been healthy scratches and not playing quite up to capabilities. And then out in Anaheim, they have a couple guys, namely I think Josh Manson is a right-handed shot who's really good, and Brandon Montour is another defenseman in Anaheim who's pretty good that could be in that same kind of boat as Olimata that, you know, good players, but not totally working out in their current situations. So Nick, what would you think about another future trade to reshape the defense a little, or do you think they should stick with what they have for a bit and see where things are going now? Uh, when you're in a situation like this where they can't seem to defend anyone, it seems like any time the puck is in their own end, all the defensemen forget that they have ever played hockey and they look like peewee guys out there. I'm all for trying to shake it up. And, you know, I don't know who you get or who the answer is. Uh, I know of Manson and Anaheim. I, I, I wouldn't hate that. But what you what I think in this situation is, yeah, I think Mata's definitely on the hot seat. I think uh, after all these years, uh, he's kind of gotten over the benefit of the doubt situation with his injuries. I think he's had a couple years now of, of offseason to train and get his body right. And I think he's just showing that maybe he just isn't the type of player they thought he was going to be when they signed him to that extension a couple years ago. So I would definitely be eyeing him. Alexiak, I, I don't know what to think about. He, he shows some flashes, but it seems like he gets himself into trouble a lot of times too. And it seems like there's definitely a disagreement there between the coach and GM on how to use him. And since they just got him and signed him to the extension, I don't know if they're willing to ship him out just yet. Uh, Jack Johnson, obviously, they're, they're not going to get rid of him just yet. They're going to let him try and figure some things out. Uh, so it's hard to say, obviously, but I do think D is an area they should look at and try and try some other options and shake some things up and see what's available even. You know, listen, I always, I always like to be able the mindset of be able to listen on everything and anything and get involved and see what happens because you never know. And that's maybe a situation where, uh, Broussard becomes involved in a trade where maybe it's not just trading Broussard for somebody, but maybe he's part of a package where you go get somebody. Because like I said, his contract situation makes things difficult with him being a rental and his value. But if you can package him with somebody, that gives you some ammo to go get someone. If Rutherford is going to make another move, I think it will be for uh, to, to bolster the defense. And it's interesting that we're that we're bringing up the, these package deals. I guess we'll move into it now. Uh, we're, we're going to move into the listener questions that were submitted through Twitter, and surprisingly enough, the, a couple of the listener questions were related to a couple of the topics that we were just discussing. 
And one, uh, one topic in particular, or one question that was asked in particular, uh, this is from Nathan Sherman. If Broussard was healthy, would the Penguins trade him with the possibility of uh, Daniel Sprong or Brian Rust to get a defenseman in the seven to eight million dollar range? He says, "I'd imagine it would have. I, I would. They would have to go back and forth to make it work under the cap." And Drew Doughty is a name that comes to mind from the recent trade. I, I think I don't know if Drew Doughty would be a, a kind of. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, stars there, yeah, but I don't think Doughty would be. Uh, the first go-to option that I would think about to 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 go and bolster the, the defense, but it's an interesting it's an interesting concept to think about uh, because I don't think any of us here think that Jim Rutherford is done. If if you know if his track record has shown us anything, it's that he's not afraid to make a move whenever uh, whenever he pleases. So with with this trade today bolstering the forwards, I could easily see him going and bolstering the defense. And Daniel Sprong is a player. If we haven't touched on him a lot uh, in in this discussion, but it seems like both the coach and the general manager Sprong has fallen out of favor with Sullivan and Rutherford. At least that's the perception that I'm getting, and a lot of other fans are getting, which is a shame because you know they they spend the second round pick on Daniel Sprong, and I, I remember when Sprong was drafted that everyone was saying. If it wasn't for Sprong's maturity issues, he would have been drafted in the the mid to late first round. And for the Penguins to get Sprong where they did back in 2015 and to see where his career has gone since then to basically just sit, be sitting in the press box uh, up until this point. And the Penguins have really, really screwed up his development, if you want to be blunt about it. And, you know, they give him the couple of seasons in Wilkes-Barre to kind of refine his game and, and try and become the NHL player that both Sullivan and Rutherford wanted him to be. But it seems that at this point that Sprong is already has one foot out the door and we may just be waiting for Rutherford to pull the trigger on another deal that sends Sprong to a, another team in the league. So this, this Sprong and Broussard combination package deal is, is interesting because you're getting Broussard salary off the books and you're getting a decent prospect that you can, you could probably try and persuade all of the other general managers in the league and say, "Hey, look, this is a this is a guy that you know really hasn't it hasn't worked out here in Pittsburgh. Maybe a change of scenery will do him some good. He has a pretty nice shot to his name." So those two assets may be may be a, a really good starting off point to try and get maybe another defenseman of a higher caliber to try and bolster that bolster the blue line jim what are your thoughts on having a package deal like that to bolster the the defense i think it's something to consider like we were all talking about and like nick mentioned that maybe brassard isn't the best fit or maybe you know it just would be better to move on from him like you said he, he will be a rental so and plus pittsburgh isn't going to want to trade Derek brassard to anyone in the east certainly and maybe not even anyone in the west like you're not sending Derek Broussard to a team that you could see in the first, second, or even third round of the playoffs. So that I think you have to take in consideration, and that's going to narrow the market a lot for where you could send him. Daniel Sprong, I mean, I, I know Penguins fans are pretty high on him, but he's done nothing in the NHL, so I don't even think he has much as much trade value as people want to think because a lot of Pens fans are very sweet on him. And, I mean, he's a, he's a good young player, but – you know, those those types of players, wingers, Taylor Hall, who became MVP, got traded just for a pretty good defenseman. You know, like wingers don't get traded for that much. And especially when like Sprong, who really hasn't shown his worth in the NHL, 
you know, he's just not going to move the needle that much. I don't think so. I'm not really hopeful if they add him on that, he's going to be a big difference maker in the trade, but I do definitely think, you know, maybe you put Sprong and Bassard together and maybe you put Mata and Sprong together and the Penguins always trade their first round pick. It seems like, so you would think that could be in the mix too. And maybe they'll use two of those three things or all three of those three things to try to improve or shake the team up further from here. Yeah, and I think unless you you do something really drastic, I don't think it's going to be that seven or eight million dollar defenseman. I think it's going to be more of a honestly, realistically, I think it's going to be a bottom pair guy. But you know, there's always hope that it's a top four, maybe a second pairing guy, maybe like the five million dollar range. Uh, Jimmy, I was reading one of your articles today. I think you mentioned they have around five million cap space, and then yep. if you're willing to move Brassard too, that gives you a lot more flexibility. But yeah, just to go back and hit on the Sprong thing one more time, uh, I, I feel like we've seen this story so many times before over the past couple of years where a guy comes in with a ton of talent and and the story either goes he just couldn't hack it or the Pens mismanaged him. And either way you want to spin it, the bottom line is they didn't work out. You look at like Luca Caputi and Eric Tangrady and, and Joe Morrow, uh, you know, like a lot of those guys just ended up not panning out and they some of them were packaged and sent away as a trade ship and it looks like that's what's going to happen to Sprong uh going into the year you had high hopes this was the year he figured it out it seems like it's not uh as the year has gone on here a little bit longer I started to get the idea in my head that he's probably part of a deadline deal but now with the situation as it is uh, you know maybe that process speeds up and maybe he's out the door sooner than expected uh you hate to see it because I feel like everyone likes the kid. He's got a hell of a shot, but it just doesn't seem like it's working out. Same thing with the Broussard. There's so much promise there, but just doesn't something doesn't look right. It doesn't pass the eye test. So you just you just don't know until it happens, and we'll see. Uh, this uh, there are some pieces there for Jim to move if he wants to, and it just depends on which area he decides that needs that improvement does is it going to be the d is it going to be another top nine forward uh we'll we'll wait and find out i guess here's another question here from at mac winnen i'll just keep it short and sweet what are you saddened about that you lose in carl Haglin and his abilities but what are you most excited about in gaining tanner pearson and his abilities and we kind of already discussed it early on at the beginning of the podcast you know Haglin's speed for me was you know his go-to attribute and really helped propel the Penguins to this two Stanley Cups. And I kind of talked about that a little bit at the start of the show. So the, the one thing, the, the one other thing about Carl Haglund that I will miss the most is his wonderful hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah. his hair gets enough credit. You know, if we were going to rank hockey player hair uh, and, and and from a list of all the players in the league, I think Carl Haglund's hair uh, probably is in the top five. Um, so that for me, along with his you know, his speed and, and, you know, what he brought to the HBK line uh, when they were going after the first cup, that, that's what I'll remember the most. Uh, and for, looking at Tanner Pearson, I think uh, Nick, you were describing Tanner, the kind of player Tanner Pearson was and probably will be once he gets here and, and gets situated with the Penguins. If, if Tanner Pearson can be the finisher and have the hands that Carl Hagelin didn't really didn't have in Pittsburgh as his tenure went on, I think it'll be a massive a massive bonus and a massive win for Rutherford because I think Pearson is signed uh, for this season and next season, if not the season after that as well. So there's a little bit of long-term security there, knowing that you, you know you're trading away a player like Haglin, whose contract expires at the end of the season, for a guy who has a little bit of 
uh, contract security. And, you know, you kind of hope that a change of scenery will help both players. But, yeah, for me, it's Carl Hagelin's hair, and I'm excited to see if Tanner Pearson can put the puck in the back of the net on a more consistent basis to help get some of that secondary scoring going. Jimmy, what about you? What are you going to miss the most about Carl Hagelin? Yeah, the same thing. I mean, I think if you pretty much ask any woman, they would tell you that the hair isn't underrated. I think it's about properly rated and gets a lot of love. But um, the one thing I think of when I think of Carl Hagelin is just that empty net goal he scored in Nashville to clinch the Stanley Cup. And that's always a memory that people will have and be able to remember. And you win two Stanley Cups with the same two years in a row of the team and you're always kind of a part of that team forever as a lot of the guys in the Mario days back in the 90s were and still remembered in Pittsburgh so hopefully that'll be the same thing I mean he was good on the PK so we'll miss that but I think there's some data out there that Tanner Pearson can do that too a little bit so all in all it's probably time but you know we'll always have the Nashville goal Nick what about you Let's be honest, that man is way too attractive to be stuck in Pittsburgh for any any longer than he has to be. He deserves <laughs> to be out in LA on those on those beaches with those that sun-kissed yellow hair blowing in the wind. He <laughs> he was awesome, you know. Like I said, we talked about it at length earlier. He rejuvenated the team and the franchise, the speed and all that. And I, I think I'll miss mostly the nostalgia effect of, of having him out there and just knowing that he was one of the fastest guys on the ice. I always hated him as a ranger because of how fast and how good he was. I loved when we got him. And it was just it, – it's sad to see some things end, but, you know, they have to. And I'm excited for Tanner to get here and see what he can do out there because because of the shot. I, I, I watched a, a YouTube video today, like I said earlier, and a bunch of his goals, sweet release. Um, they did him no favors in his uh, player profile picture that they have. Uh, he looks <laughs> like he has a lazy eye, to be honest. So maybe his peripheral vision is uh, – is an <laughs> we don't know. We can't be too certain. But uh, no, for real, I'm excited for Tanner Pearson. I think uh, I think it's it could be a really good fit, and we'll see how it works out. If he's eager and he comes here with the right mindset, not of, oh, I got traded, but, oh, some team wanted me. These guys wanted me. I'm going to the, Stanley, the former Stanley Cup champions. Uh, I, I think it's going to work out pretty well. Well, then he'll fit right in with Malkin, who he, between James Neal and Phil Kessel, he likes to call his line mates lazy anyways. So maybe go. Tanner Pearson's a natural already with Gino. The next tweet is more of a general statement than it is a question. Um, this is from uh, at Boho underscore Latina. Sacrifice gritty to the hockey gods of Canada. Uh, Nick, I know one of the things that Jimmy and I were talking about before we started the podcast, before we started recording tonight, we wanted to get your thoughts on Gritty, uh, and you know, is he is he is Gritty the true representation of or the true encapsulation of the Philadelphia Flyers? Uh, because I think at first everyone was kind of like, "What the hell is Gritty? What is a Gritty? Why is Gritty a thing?" And slowly but surely. It's the weirdest thing. It's like everybody loves this Flyers mascot now. Even some of the fans in Pittsburgh and, you know, like hockey mascots aren't as prevalent or as popular as like baseball mascots who are out there for 162 games a year. But uh, for whatever reason, it seems like Gritty has has taken the NHL by storm and has taken social media by storm. So, Nick, what what's the first thing that comes to mind when, when you look at Gritty and when you think about Gritty? 
Ugh, I hate him. I hate him, Thank but you. I love him. He's just—he's—he's he's so typical of Philadelphia. He's just this big orange hairy mongoloid, and he's just falling ass backwards into things and walking into things and and hurting himself. But people love him because he's a lovable loser, right? I mean, he's not winning anything. He's just going out there and being an idiot, and people eat it up. So you know, I get it, but they needed something. I, Pat, I—I I honestly believe Pat McAfee, the host of Pat McAfee Show, like invented this mascot a couple of weeks ago. A couple months ago, I should say, over the summer, we did an interview with, I think it was Paul Bissonette, Bisnasty, and Pat mentioned that the city of Philadelphia needed something to rally behind. They needed a mascot. They needed something that epitomized how gritty the city was. And then, lo and behold, a couple months later, they roll out this big orange hairball, and he's named Gritty, and all of a sudden, he just starts falling all over the ice his first night in action, and we're just led to believe that that's on accident that they're not didn't just make this viral superstar. I think I'm a little too woke for this. So I think that's why I don't like him. I think I think I'm in my own head and I think I'm too woke and I think he's just a big phony. No, I agree. I think they owe Pat some royalties because, you know, anything that he does and especially anything that Biz Nasty does is always on people's radar. So I think you're onto something. And they took that idea, they not to make light of it, but they obviously put him on crystal meth and then out pop gritty. Everyone loves him. I do not love him. I think he's a loser. I think he's an idiot. I think he has to go. He's like knocking down kids and stuff out there. It's 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 a debacle. It's a disaster. <laughs> I it's do love though, is uh, I, Ben Stonium's really good at this. He does it all the time. Is photoshopping gritty into the back of like stock photos and yes, other people yeah. <laughs> like clowns and stuff too. Yeah, like, you know? yeah. He had a whole. Th- I think Ben Stonium had a whole thread of pictures that he was photoshopping gritty into and it, it was fantastic it, it, i think it got it might have gotten over a thousand retweets and and and, and likes it was yeah it was a fantastic thread I, but like it, the, the thing about gritty i don't know it's just there's something about him i think i must be in the minority here I, listen i hate everything about philadelphia and i hate the flyers with a burning burning passion in my heart but there's just something maybe it, it it is him being that that lovable loser he's a train wreck you can't look away you have to look at it you have exactly. to walk it. exactly i think that i think that's what that's what it is i mean the the the, the weird ass googly eyes and and you know like the the weird uh like the, the weird lion's mane kind of beard that he has and he's so dispro- disproportionate it's it all turns into one big ugly beautiful monster that I can't, I can't not watch. It's just, it's. He's like it's, a Kardashian. He's like yeah. Chloe Kardashian. He's captivating. You have to know what he's doing at all times. Yeah, if think, the Kardashians were from South Jersey. They'd definitely be like the gritty family. There you go. I think as time goes on, as long as the Flyers don't don't uh, retire gritty, and from the looks of it, early on, I, it, it might be a while before they actually retire gritty. But he and the Philly fanatic. I, you know, I don't know what the hell the Philly fanatic is either. So, you know, for for everyone really not to know what the hell a gritty is, it, it, it really was a match made in heaven for their baseball team and their hockey team to really get these two mascots that nobody really knows what these things are and why they're there and why they exist. But they they seem to work in a beautifully disgusting harmony. And <laughs> it, it's going to be wonderful to watch Gritty fall on his ass for hundreds and hundreds of more times and 
it, gritty will be the perfect encapsulation of the Flyers moving forward because what, 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 what really do the Flyers have going for them right now? What really do the Flyers have going for them at any time at all when they're playing hockey? I don't know. I'm just glad they made that suit big and puffy enough to absorb all the shit he's going to take when he gets, starts getting pelted with beer cans and batteries and cinder blocks and whatever <laughs> else they can find to throw on the ice. Yeah, because they love them now, but th- they're not going to love them forever, especially once once things go down south, as they always do there. Yeah, that, that's a good idea to to make them extra fluffy and be able to absorb all the all the hate that's coming his way, surely. When they get bounced in the first round, if the, if they do end up making if the Flyers end up making the playoffs uh, uh, for this season, they'll, they'll, they're going to get bounced in the first round, and then. I, I, Nick, I love that you brought up the batteries because that's exactly what they're going to be pelting gritty with. Uh, because um, the, well, the flyer, the Flyers, Philadelphia just loves to boo their team any chance that they get when even the slightest inconvenience doesn't go their way. So holy hell, when they get bounced out in the first round next year, if they make the playoffs, gritty might have to have you know, you know so, so some reconstructive face surgery to you know. Make sure all the batteries and every and the beer cans and everything else pelted his way doesn't really doesn't do him any harm. You wait, man. My nightmare is they end up playing Vegas in the Stanley Cup Finals, and we oh have to night go out there and and fight gritty at center ice for seven games. Oh, what what is you brought up Vegas, and I'm like, what what the hell is their mascot? It's like I remember when they unveiled when Vegas unveiled their mascot when they you know they were doing I think it was during the expansion right before the expansion draft and it was like this big yellow uh, it's, a, it's the gila monster, right? It's the lizard Yeah, thing. it's some kind of it looks like an overgrown snake or something. I don't yeah, know. It deformed Barney the dinosaur. Like I don't understand yeah. why they didn't keep the knight guy and make him the full-time mascot, you know? I, I was so dumbfounded when, yeah, I because I had no idea what it was. I thought it was some weird dinosaur-looking thing too, and I'm like, NHL mascots—they're they're really hit or hit or miss, and most of them are most of them are misses. To if, be if, fair, to be fair, they're all still better than Steely McBeam, so I, I just take it with a grain of salt. You know, you, you might catch a lot of flack for saying that it, <laughs> in this part of the country, but I think. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves. You know, you're right. I, I'm going to be. I I'm not a Steely McBeam fan. McBeam fan, I should say. It's what what is Steely McBeam? It just just a, he's just an overgrown steel worker. That's yeah. not a mascot. That's the, the the I will say the pirate parrot. Out of all three mascots the Penguins have, the pirate parrot is the go to. He is the face of Pittsburgh mascots. And it's the one mascot that, you know, you can genuinely get behind and be excited about when he comes in your row and, you know, he's asking for pictures and stuff. But, yeah. It's st- he's st- also the only guy that you know is going to be there season after season. He's never going to make enough of a play for them to have to fo- trade him and not be able to pay him. He's going <laughs> to consistently every single season. He's the face of the franchise by now, I believe. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Oh, that's all they got. I mean, he's the guy. Yeah. And and they kept it simple, you know, pirate parrot. There it is, you know, gritty. Who the hell knows? Steely McBeam. What are we doing? Vegas. Just pick a night. Just keep it simple. You can find Nick on his podcast, Heartland Radio 2.0, as well as the Pat McAfee show. I, I haven't had any interactions with Pat or uh, uh, through social media, but Pat seems like uh, a character. Pat is like he's revered here for you know for growing up here and really uh, becoming 
one of the great athletes that come from this region. But you know, for he's he's managed to carve out one hell of a career for himself even after leaving the Colts. And he's probably one of the funniest people on social, one of the funniest athletes on social media right now. Pat is what we like to call a real one. And uh, to borrow a phrase of his, there's no bullshits. It's all just straight shooter. You know, he, he fires from the hip. He says what he's, he's thinking at all times. And uh, he's one of the best guys around. He's one of the most generous, humble people. You said he carved out a hell of a career for himself. He carved out a hell of a career for me, too. <laughs> no bones about it. Uh, I'm riding the coattails into, this, into the sun here. Pat is awesome, though. Uh He's built this company up. We we started with Barstool for a while. We were Barstool Heartland, and then uh, some things happened. We kind of broke away. We were doing our own thing now with the Pat McAfee Show, and uh, it's been a hell of a ride. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, it, I love talking hockey, man. It's at Nick Moraldo. Follow him for all his takes, Penguins and otherwise. They do a lot of great stuff over there, and you can find them you know, on the iTunes and everywhere you can find this podcast. You can listen to his and – I'm sure everyone already knows about Pat and Nick and Diggs and all the boys there, and they're doing great. We love them, and it's great to see that they keep up with us too. So we're happy to have you, Nick, and thanks for jumping on with us. Absolutely, boys. Thank you so much. Follow at Pensburg and really follow at Pensburg Pod, P-O-D, and send us questions, rate us, review, five stars, all that good stuff, and we will keep, keep it rolling. Yeah, you can, like Jimmy said, you can find us uh, at Pensburg Pod on Twitter. Send any kind of correspondences you want to uh, our email address, uh, pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, please feel free to take a couple of minutes out of your day, if you like what you're listening to, to uh, give us a, a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. I think so. I think that's about it for for Jim Rixner for Nick Moraldo. I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be off next week during Thanksgiving, uh, but after the week after Thanksgiving, we will resume operations as normal and get another episode out to you. Uh, but thank you so much for everyone to coming on the show tonight, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been another awesome episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed. <laughs>